Welcome to Retro Reads with Sage with my dad. It's Retro Reads with Sage. I'm gonna read from a page. Books, songs, movies, poems. It's Retro Reads with Sage. Recap. It's really nice here. Alright, let's see here. I got him. I got this guy. I'm using my sniper. Get up. Oh, miss. Come on. Come on. Yeah, so far away. We get when we get closer. Down here. Uh, let's see. I am a bad shot. Hey, Sage, I thought we were going to do this podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's do this. So, what were some of your favorite games growing up? Well... Let's see, my favorite video games were in the arcade. Because really the best arcade, the best games were in the arcade. The console games back in the 80s weren't that great. So to play the most amazing video games, you had to go to the arcade. So I would say Dig Dug is one of my favorite games. Do you know that game? Oh yeah, Dig Dug, I love that game. Where you have a little guy, you pump up. Yeah. You pump up your enemies, then you try to um, drop rocks on them. That was one of my favorite games. I love the sound effects in that game. Yeah. I also like Tempest. Oh, yeah, Tempest. Tempest for me was really cool because it was a vector-based video game. And it had something pretty cool, which was you could actually start any level of the game. So instead of starting at level one, you could start at a level five if you wanted to oh. and it used a little paddle wheel instead of a joystick hmm. which i thought was pretty cool can you tell our listeners about like what vector graphics are what they kind of look like yeah vector graphics are really sharp lines and the color is really vibrant very vibrant so it was a little bit different than the blocky kind of video game characters that you would see with some of the other games in the 80s I forgot to mention, of course, Space Invaders, one of the best games from the 70s, which was really kicked off a lot of the video games in the 80s. Yeah, so that's amazing. Like, Okay, so name some of the best games of the 70s and go. Well, as I said, Space Invaders was one of them. Breakout was another one that also had the paddle. So with Breakout... You had a little paddle, like a little line at the bottom of the screen, and you had to move back and forth and knock a ball into a set of bricks mm. and break your way through to the end of the, uh, the top of the screen. That was also one of my, one of my favorite games, for sure. I, I would have put also said, of course, Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. Yeah, of course. Like, who doesn't like Miss Pac-Man and Pac-Man? I mean, that's like an iconic game. I mean, it was invented in the, in the early 80s. In 1980, I remember reading something from the game developer. He said he wanted to make a video game that was different than everything else. He didn't want it to be a violent game. He wanted it to be his own take on on video games. And he, he actually created the shape of the Pac-Man character as like a shape of like a half-eaten pizza. Oh yeah, <laughs> he does look like kind of like a pizza. Yeah, he does. And he, I think, originally they were going to call it something else. They had a different name for the game. Oh. 
So they were going to call it, I think, uh, Pac-Pac instead of Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah, or thank goodness. Pac-Pac-Pac. <laughs> thank goodness they changed Imagine if Pac-Man was Pac-Pac-Pac-Pac-Pac-Pac. Yeah, thank goodness they changed it. Yeah. That would have been, you know, that, yeah, that would have been the disaster. <laughs> it's one of those games, though, I think, too, that Pac-Man became a game that everybody loved to play, not just, not just guys. Everybody right. wanted to play Pac-Man, and, of course, Miss Pac-Man as well. I think that's one of the games that still, like, you know, stand the test of time that just, you know, go on for generations to generations. That game is just, a, yeah. just an amazing game even today. Okay, yeah, I totally agree. So, like, okay, name some of your favorite retro g movies with retro games in it, and what's your favorite one? Well, that's a tough one. Of course, I think Tron mm. would be one of my favorite games because it's about a story of a guy that, uh, you know, works at, well, I think he owns the arcade, and then he gets transported into the video game. And of course, they came out with a game called Tron which was cool because it was actually, I think it was four different games in one. So you had like completely different games. One of them was a maze game where you have the little Tron light cycle. Yeah. Another one was similar to kind of like Breakout. And so they had all these different kind of games within a game. So that game was, and it was a cool looking case as well. The actual um, video arcade console was, you know, lit up, the joystick lit up, which was, which was pretty neat too. I also, one thing about video games is, as the sort of 80s have, you know, started to, um, after sort of toward the end of the 80s, there were video games also at home. I, I ended up buying a, or I didn't buy, but my, my, my dad bought me an Atari 2600. So that was my first home console. And on that, I played one of my favorite games. On that was Yars Revenge. Oh. And Yars Revenge was a pretty cool game. You had a little, you had a little guy that you had to actually, you had to destroy this laser, which was on the right side of the screen. And you control this little character flying around called a Yar, and the Yar would, uh, piece by piece, it would destroy this little shield. And once you destroyed the, the shield, you had to actually shoot across through the little hole that you put into the shield to win the game. But it was it was one of those games that sounds really simple. Yeah. It was difficult to kind of master. Yeah, probably because, uh, you know, it gets uh, progressively hard as you play, you know, just changes changes it up. Yeah, it was like that. I, I also liked, um, I was actually waiting and waiting for Pac-Man on the Atari, but Pac-Man was a terrible, yeah. terrible version. <laughs> the Pac-Man for the Atari 2600, was just it was just a kind of a, a, a terrible version of the actual arcade game. So in some cases, the conversion of the games to the Atari were were good, but in that case, it just was a, like a low quality copy of the actual game you would find in the arcades. Yeah. Pitfall was one of my other favorite games on the Atari, and that was sort of like a. A bit of a jungle adventure, kind of like Indiana Jones in a way, a little bit. Yeah. We had to swing from branch to branch, branch to branch, and you had the, a little bit of George the Jungle thrown in there as well, or Tarzan. And you had to jump over the little pits with the alligators in it, or the crocodiles. 
that was another fun game on the Atari. But after the Atari, I kind of wanted something a bit more. So I ended up getting a, um, I was lucky enough to get a Commodore 64. So one thing about it is before Nintendo kind of took over the consoles in the 90s, some of the best video games at home were on the computer. And the Commodore 64 is one of those game consoles. Or it wasn't actually a game console, but a lot of people used it specifically for playing games because it was so good at playing games. And I loved on the, I remember on the, on the Commodore 64, the Bruce Lee game, which was really fun. He had a little character, looked sort of like a Bruce Lee, but it was very pixelated. But you had to kind of work your way through the screen you know, at, you know, going through different levels, and it was just an amazing little uh, game on the Commodore 64. Yeah, like back then you didn't have, you know, what we have now, 3D graphics and you know, whatever, like ray tracing and all that stuff, you know. No, it was pretty, it was pretty low tech, but it was, it was still fun back, back in the day for sure. But um, after, I, mem I remember after the Commodore 64, I ended up getting a Commodore Amiga, and that's where things started to really get impressive. They had a game uh, called uh, The Secret of Monkey Island, mm. which I think you might have played. Have you, you remember that game? Yeah, I think so. You had this character called uh, Guybrush Threepwood. <laughs> it was one of these point-and-click adventure games. Yeah. So I know there's a game that you like playing now that has that point-and-click type like you know type of approach what you remember the name of the game oh yeah um it was um uh, broken age has yeah, like yeah, some broken kind age so broken age probably owes its um you know its start to a game you know like like the secret of monkey island and the secret of monkey island actually was actually based on the sort of concept from the you know the pirates of the caribbean actually they used that oh. as a sort of reference for the design of the game it was one of these games too that basically, I remember the developer saying, game developer said, I want to make a game where it's almost impossible to die. So that was the <laughs> sort of kind of concept behind the idea of uh, the secret of Monkey Island as well. So that you'd keep working through, if you got something wrong, if you did something, you'd have to start back over that section and then mm. keep going. So you couldn't actually get killed unless you did something really drastic in the game. So that was kind of fun for people that were just starting out in the game. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't um, get disappointed by dying early on in the, in the game. Yeah. And then there was also a game called Lemmings. And Lemmings, with that game, you had to actually direct uh, um, all these different uh, little lemming animals, little creatures that sort of look like rodents, mm. like, like rats. That's, lemmings are a species of animals that, that tend to kind of um, follow the same path. So you had to actually try to get one of the little lemming characters, you know, lemming uh, characters to move a certain direction and then the rest of the other lemmings would follow them. Basically the same concept of when you call someone a lemming, they just follow every, the, you know, when you do that, you're basically saying that they're following everybody else. Wow. So that's kind of the concept of the game. It was a very successful game and it actually went on to went on to be copied and uh, ported over to a lot of the other game, other consoles and uh, computer um, computer games back then, computer consoles. Hmm, interesting. 
Okay, let's talk about some games and how they got started. Another game that was really amazing, that really kind of set, this is one of those games I think that um, influenced a number of games. And the game is called Another World. Hmm. And I think we have it on the PS4. Yeah. I think they ported it over to the PS4. It's also an adventure game, but it's a like a more of a platformer game. And it's a story of uh, uh, a character named Lester. He's a young, he's a scientist. And there was like a, basically, he was involved in an experiment. The experiment went wrong. And he finds himself on this dangerous, this dangerous alien world where he has to fight for his survival. It had a very innovative kind of art style to it. And it had a composer that created the music for it. So it's one of those games that, you know, when they started to actually put a lot of effort into creating the game, and there was no actually very little language in the game, but it was actually made initially for the Amiga, and then they ported it over to the uh, to the Atari ST, and then some other uh, consoles as well. But one thing about this game is it's one of the first games that had a a cutscene. Oh. I, I've heard from some people too that um, it influenced uh, games like uh, Silent Hill and Metal Gear. So it really kind of was one of the first games to really have that cutscene, you know, sequence that we sort of take for granted now in video games. You're right. So you know, it was, it was definitely a pretty innovative game back back in the back in the day, and they used uh, a technique that's, that that was used in a lot of other um, games, you know, from that point on, which is they took uh, screen captures of movement so they had somebody that would walk across the room and they would basically use like a uh, video camera and then they would take still images to rotoscope basically the movement so the actual character in the game would move pretty fluidly and it would look almost like somebody actually moving you know in real life but it was in the video game obviously but it was a higher quality of, of animation that you would typically have in a video game. So for that, you know, that as well, you know, another world is, you know, is definitely up there on the echelon of, of you know, innovative video games. Right. But yeah. There's one other one video game I think that um, we probably want to talk about, which is, is E.T. Yeah. <laughs> E.T. What do you know about E.T.? It was, it was not good. Yeah, it wasn't good. See, Atari, back in the sort of, um, in the 80s, Atari was, was firing on all cylinders. They had a ton of games coming out. The Atari 2600 was very successful. But eventually, as it got towards the, the middle of the 80s, Atari kind of faltered a bit. They started trying, trying to crank out games quickly. So there's a, a sort of story about how the, the game developer for E.T., it's actually the same game developer that did Yars Revenge. Yeah. He was, he actually met with Luke, he met with, um, not George Lucas, with um, Steven Spielberg, sorry. Steven Spielberg about creating the video game. But they wanted him to create the video game very quickly, like within a month. Wow. And usually he would spend about six months developing his games. 
but they wanted it ready for the you know the holiday season. So they Atari had pressured him to get the video game done. So he showed that some concepts of the game and he showed it to um, Steven Spielberg and I think initially Steven Spielberg said, oh, that looks pretty good. When the game was released, initially it started selling. And then after a period of a couple weeks, people started returning the games. And then the sales basically stopped. So the game became like one of the biggest failures of video game development history. Because it just it ended up being like a terrible video game. And what's funny about it is Atari ended up overproducing a lot of the cartridges. And the story says that actually they buried about 750,000 cartridges wow. in the desert to kind of get rid of the excess. They had all these cartridges they could not sell. As, as it turns out, I guess not all of them were AT. Yeah. But Atari was in that position where they just, the market was... The market was just um, the market was wasn't in a place where there were there was there was not enough people buying video games at that time. There were other consoles. You had Intellivision, you had Coleco, you had all these other you know games that were coming out from these different platforms. And Atari wasn't the big player anymore. Their video game console wasn't as good as some of these other systems that were out there. So there was this sort of downfall in the video game market at that point. And who, who, come, who came around to kind of rescue home mm. video games? What company do you think? What, what, do, you, what, do, you, mm. what do you think is the, the company that may have done that? Uh, Nintendo? Yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> Nintendo decided to basically flip, flip the script. They had their first start with what game, what game was Mario in you? Do you know what game he was in initially? Yeah, he was on, on the, it was on the NES. Before he was actually on the NES, he was in another arcade game. Any idea what arcade game? It was uh, Donkey Kong. Yep. But in Donkey Kong, Donkey Donkey Kong, he wasn't he wasn't a plumber and his name wasn't Mario in that game it was a jump man right he was jump man so <laughs> when Nintendo realized they had a sort of star on their hands they decided then to make another arcade game they decided to work on you know the Super Mario you know as their next arcade release but Nintendo did something smart. They decided to focus not on creating like necessarily amazing graphics, but creating an amazing game play in the game itself to make the game play to be fun, to be exciting. That so they could people would have tried to beat their scores, you know, so they would play for hours and hours on end. So Nintendo was able to master the creation of games that were addictive. And they created this whole, you know, 
ecosystem basically of Nintendo characters, including obviously all the you know the Super Mario team of characters. Right. And they parlayed that into all the other Nintendo games that became, you know, hugely popular at the time. So they became the boss. Hmm. Now you know like the boss level? Yeah. They became the boss hmm. of video games in the nineties when Atari had basically faltered at that point. Atari tried to recover with the fifty two hundred and with the some of the other with the actual um, some of the other consoles that they came out with, but they weren't able to reclaim their glory of the 80s. Nintendo kind of stole that away. It wasn't until Sony came out with the original PlayStation and then you also had Sega and their Genesis and these other yeah. consoles that some of the other companies started making some, you know, actually quality consoles and games. Right. Well, thank you for talking about retro games, Paps. Hey, my pleasure. I had fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for coming on. As astonishing advances in computer science are made, artificial intelligence programs are being designed to assist us in every area of life. In a worldwide network of electronics, they travel through miles of circuitry at the speed of light. We created them to calculate and research, to help us design and heal and think. With all that they can do, are they only electrical impulses? Or are they a new form of life? Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Retro Reads with Satan. Recap. It's really nice here.